Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new day, for the opportunity to learn more about you and to learn more about the resources that you have given us and how to be good stewards of those things. And so bless us today as we listen. Bless Jim as he presents. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The, the title of the seminar is Managing Money for the Long Run, an Iron Man's Guide to Financial Prosperity. And the reason that I use it as a title is that I've had uh, a unique privilege to participate last fall in an Ironman triathlon. And I'm not going to, again, go through all this, but for those of you that are new, an Ironman triathlon is a, about a two and a half mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride, and then you wrap it all up with a full marathon, which is 26 miles. And you do that within one day. Uh, it's considered one of the toughest one day endurance events in, in the world. And the reason why it's, it's uh, relevant to us is that I'll talk to people and they'll be like, wow, that's so impressive, uh, way to go, I could never do that. And I hear people make the same comment when, when I talk about money, it's like, wow, that's really impressive, you know, good for whoever, I could never do that. And what I found is that the same mindset that lets just some average guy like me, and most people, when I was, did the Ironman last fall, most people that do this are folks like you and I. I mean, there's a few really elite athletes that are out there, and by the way, you can spot them, all right? You know. Most of us here in this room could be represented at an Ironman, all right? Age, gender, even uh, health, all that kind of stuff. And so it has more to do with a mindset than it has to do with, oh, I've got this particular skill or this gift. And so when we're talking about money, one of the first things we talked about yesterday is we have to have the right mindset. And so I'm gonna just go back for a second uh, here and kind of recap what we talked about yesterday. It starts with the right mindset that says, I can do that. Because remember we talked about, um, actually we'll go to the next one. If you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. We're gonna talk a little bit this morning again about the power of the mind. Um, the importance of money when we're dealing with it as Christians, is money is the most tangible expression of our current spiritual condition. And if you remember, God doesn't have a problem with money. God doesn't have a problem with us having money. What's the issue with money and us? Character. God is worried that money, the more wealth that we have, will cause a poverty of character. And we see that happening over and over again. Um, I talked yesterday about the fact that I don't think that money changes people. I think that money reveals people. Uh, we talked about some experiences I've had where you're like, if that's what money does to people, I don't want it. But I think what happens more often, not always, but more often, is that money reveals what's happening in the character. And that's why I think this is so true. Money is the most tangible expression of our current spiritual condition. Uh, and then we talked very specifically, there was a lot of, I don't want to call it theory, but we use some specific practical application. The Bible talks to us about guard your own palace to keep your goods in peace. And so we talked about cybersecurity and how to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep the strong man from breaking in and taking our goods. Um, for those of you that were not here yesterday, Len and Karen, I know you guys weren't. If you guys just take these and find you know, around the room, if anyone doesn't have one of those, raise your hand. That's a couple pages with some very practical things to try to protect our assets, the, the money, the means that God has given us, um, it is wise, it is biblical for us to protect that and keep it safe. 
And so those are some practical things because the entire, I shouldn't say the entire world, but around the world there are efforts going on to try to uh, separate us from our assets. And we want to be on guard for that. Um, we talked a little bit again about the mind. I'm going to kind of wrap up yesterday with uh, this text. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The idea being that over time, our mind can be renewed. We can have those right thoughts. We can have the right attitudes. And from that, we can be successful. So, so we'll go on today. Yesterday starts with the right attitude, confirming truth, debunking myths about money. Today, we're going to talk about keeping track of the things that count, the real reason to budget and how to do it right. And I left yesterday with the uh, comment, uh, when we th how many think about budgets as really, really positive? Okay, some of us do. How many of you feel like budgets are a way to keep your money in jail? <laughs> All right? And you, it only can get out once a year for good behavior. All right? That's a lot of the ways. So we're going to talk. I have budget because we know what that means. We're going to talk about it in the context of a spending plan. All right? Doesn't that sound more positive? I don't have to budget and constrict. I have a spending plan where I choose how my money is spent. And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, for those of you that were not here yesterday, there's a couple of other, one more handout. Again, if you guys can take a couple of these, make sure that everyone gets one. Does anyone else not have one? This was the handout yesterday. Um, there is a lot of information in here. I'm not going to go through probably half of it intentionally. This, by the way, is something that I found on a website with Crown Ministries. How many of you here have ever heard the name Larry Burkett? Okay. I think he's just kind of like the pillar of Christian financial concepts. I, my understanding is I think Dave Ramsey studied, either studied under him or learned from him. Dave Ramsey is another great guy. I, I just happened to find that for today's or this week's uh, seminar that uh, Crown had some really good practical information that we could use, and it seemed a little less commercialized. The one thing I will mention, if you go to the very back, it says ideas list. I'm hoping that there's just a ton of information that you guys will get through the course of this week. And if that's the case, a lot of times it's easy to get overwhelmed. And we talked about a lot of stuff yesterday, and there was probably a dozen things that we could do. We do not have to accomplish everything in our life this week. All right? I did an Ironman. Ten years ago, I couldn't do an Ironman. Ten years ago, this week, for the very first time in my life, I ran a 5K. That was a big deal to me. Because a few years before that, I couldn't run from my front door to the end of the road. So we have to recognize that in this process of moving forward financially, we don't have to go from nothing to everything overnight. And so when you start feeling overwhelmed, don't worry that everything we talk about is something that you have to incorporate today or this week or this month. But I want you to write down some ideas. And when we're all done, I will consider it a success if you leave saying, I had three or four really key takeaways that I think I can implement. And if there was one from yesterday, and some people came in, they were like, oh yeah, hey, I changed my passwords last night. Awesome. After everything that we talked about, that was probably the most valuable thing you could do yesterday for cybersecurity, is make your passwords more secure. So what I want you to do is write down the ideas, don't feel overwhelmed, but just think to yourself, at the end of the week, can I take away something each day? Is there one idea that stood out that you say, I can do that? Because if you can do that, you can build on that, and a year from now, be doing more. Um, and so I always tell people, it's better to do something than nothing. Uh, so take that first step and start moving forward. 
All right, so if you turn and open, uh, it should be the, either the first page, the back of the first page, or the front of the second page. We're going to talk about the spending plan. Um, but before we do that, I want to just, uh, I'm going to throw out a couple of thoughts as we start thinking about budgeting or spending plan. Number one, this goes back to the, my, the beginning of my career. Someone uh, said this, and this is so true. If you fail to plan, plan to fail. Most failures in life, in finances in particular, are not a result of lack of knowledge, uh, lack of ability, lack of skill. It's because we just don't plan. We don't think ahead. And one of the things that's difficult, I'm gonna um, just talk about this. Every now and then I, I talk by writing. So are you guys okay with that? Yeah. Um, here we go. So then this is, so much of what we're talking about is applicable not just to finances, but to life in general. Um, so, and by the way, the fact that you could use some of this in areas other than finances, the good news is I'm not gonna charge for that. All right, you can use it in other areas, there's no cost. In decisions that we make in life, there's always two parts, okay? There's what I call the action. By the way, I did pretty well in school, except for one class, and that was penmanship. So you guys just, just work with me. Okay, we've got action, and we've got outcomes. All right, so this is, this is what we choose to do, and this is the result. All right, does that make sense? Everyone with me? Those are two, they're, they're two um, integrated but yet separate. And the way that they're separate is we can choose an action, but what action we choose chooses the outcome, right? In other words, I can say, um, I would like to, uh, um, I would like to be able to run a, uh, a six minute mile, okay? That's the outcome I want. The action that I'm going to do to get there is I'm going to watch TV four hours a day while I'm eating a half a tub of ice cream. <laughs> All right? The point is that if we, we can say, I'm going to choose the action, and then the outcome is a direct result of that action. So if we choose this, we don't have much control here. If we choose the outcome, the outcome will tell us what action we have to take to get there. Many people in life focus on the action. This is the choice that they make. And they're disappointed when the outcome isn't what they want. And so when it comes to money, very often we have to say, what is the outcome that I'm looking for? And then we have to back into what action will get me there. Budgeting, spending plan is part of that process. This isn't always the most fun. All right, but I will tell you that the outcome is worth it. And we'll talk a little bit about you know, what it's like when we do the right things and do them over and over, and all of a sudden what used to be difficult is now actually pretty exciting. Um, this is something that I wanna share, and, and we get back again to the ability for our minds to assist us in this journey. And before we get into all this, I'm gonna make it really clear, as I talk about our ability and renewing the mind, I do not believe that there is power or goodness in us. All right, does that make sense? A lot of times the, the New Age movement, oh, you have all this power in you, there's goodness in you. you know, just, there is no goodness other than what Jesus brings to us. In fact, I would tell you, um, I was just looking this up this morning, because this is very, very important for us. 
Um, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Who we are as, as human beings, we are sinful, wicked, and any ability or power that we have is not because of us, it's directly given to us by God. Having said that, he has created us, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so there are things that God has given to us as part of our creation that if we, t if we utilize, we can utilize to our benefit. And one of them is this. If you look on the right-hand side there, it says, your subconscious mind is subjective. It does not think or reason independently. It merely obeys the commands it receives from your conscious mind. So sometimes we are very dictated by our subconscious. We have the ability to fill our subconscious mind so that it's giving us the right directions. All right? Earl Nightingale wrote this, whatever we plant in our subconscious mind and nourish with repetition and emotion, one day will become a reality. And we've talked about that. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Okay, we can, we can think ourselves into good things. We can think ourselves into bad things. So what I want to talk to you is the ability to harness that God-given creative or creation in us that will help us with some of these issues that we have with finances. So on the left-hand side here, you're looking at that, you're wondering, what is that? This is a 116-mile bike ride in Chattanooga, Tennessee, broken down by, um, I'm going to be honest, broken down by intersections, okay? So you hop on the bike, you have the cumulative miles, the first 11 miles, and then there's an a intersection with a gas station, 22, right on down the list. And so what I did was I said, okay, I know that I want to finish that portion in four hours and 10 minutes. That was my goal. That was my outcome that I wanted. Because I had a goal for how fast I wanted to do the race. I figured I'm just going to get started. I know that the terrain, whatever. <clears throat> I actually I typed this all up. Here's how fast I want to go in each section. Here's how many minutes per mile that is. Um, minutes per mile, both by uh, uh, a percentage, you know, 3.24 in actual seconds. Here's the time that'll take for each section. Here's the cumulative time. Here's all that kind of stuff. By the way, if you don't notice, I'm kind of a numbers geek, all right? <laughs> now, you don't have to be this obsessive, as, uh, as my uh, cousin Anita would say, all right? But it was important for me to try to finish on that time. And here's what I'm going to tell you. The act of going through that process helps people to be successful. Okay? I did the same thing for the swim, uh, 2.4 miles. Here's my start time. Here's when I get out of the water, how long it'll take to get up to the changing tent to change and then hop on the bike. And here's the amazing thing about this. And I am not unique. When I add the, the bike time and the swim time and all that, I knew exactly where I wanted to be when I hopped off the bike. And after approximately eight, eight hours, the difference between what my goal was and what I actually did was one minute. Okay? And I know where that minute went, by the way. <laughs> all right? I know exactly where it went because I made the mistake of... Uh, um, when I got on the bike, there's a red line. You're not supposed to get, I'm kind of giving away a, a secret here, but uh, you're supposed to get on the, on the bike on the other side. I got on, on, on one side and uh, they, they wrote my number down and for 50 miles I was freaked out that I had been disqualified. And I finally, on the bike ride, you get up to what I call the naughty tent. 
which is the, it's literally, it's a, a penalty timeout. And I stopped to ask them, have I been disqualified or is there a penalty? And they said no, and I was on my way. That was where my minute was. If I don't do that, I am within a second or two of my time. Not because there's anything unique or special about me, but because the process of taking an idea or a goal and writing it down changes us. All right? Now, I did the same thing. I did a half Ironman a few years ago. I did several of them. And I did the same thing. My problem, by the way, with the Ironman, and I'll admit to people, I was slower than I wanted. I didn't know what was going to happen on the run, and I never wrote down a plan for it. I was within one minute on the, the bike and the uh, swim, and then when the run started, I was like, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I kind of have this you know, nebulous goal or whatever. I did terrible on the run. I hadn't committed to writing down what I wanted to have happen. When I did my half Ironman, I had a page and a half of, you know, at this minute, here's what's happening. Um, I'm going to get out of the water. I'm going to start the bike. I'm going to, you know, on and on. My goal was to do that in, what was it, five hours and 44 minutes, and I did it in five hours and 43 minutes and change. So again, there's nothing special or unique about me. There's something special and unique about the process of saying, this is my goal, this is what I want, and committing to it on paper. All right? People talk about having goals. If we don't put it on paper, if we don't write it down, it's not a goal, it's a dream. All right? And so when we talk about the real reason for budgeting, real reason for having a spending plan isn't so much that we're putting our money in jail, the, the way I like to joke about it. <clears throat> it's because when we actually write it down and then we go back and we review it and we put that back into our subconscious over and over, it becomes something very achievable for us. And so we have to harness this, again, God-created process that he's given us and use it to our advantage. Because by the way, the devil's using it to our disadvantage every day. Am I right? Okay, let's take that same, that same creative or created portion of what God's given us and let's use it for something very positive. <clears throat> Thanks for joining us. Um, yes. Let's get you some, some paper here. We haven't really gotten into anything with writing, so you're in good shape. Um, so what I want to do is um, I want to talk here a little bit about uh, budgeting. As a recap for what we've talked about, you can make and keep a budget or spending plan that works for you and helps you reach your goals. A budget doesn't restrict your spending. Okay, everyone thinks again, a budget is where money goes when it's in trouble. A budget doesn't restrict your spending, it gives you the freedom to spend. But it gives you the freedom to spend in a way that gives us the right outcomes. And that's, that's positive. So, we're gonna go through We've got this estimated budget. You're probably going to see it better. Let's turn the lights on for right now. Um, you'll see that in your workbook. But before we get through that, as we take a look at it, there is no one budget for everyone. Um, I'll give this to you, and then I'll have you hand it out in a second when I'll describe. There's no one budget that's perfect for everyone. Not only that, it's different in categories. A single person will have a different type of budget than a married person. Uh, a, either a single or married with no kids is different than single or married with kids. So I've got two handouts. One of them is if you're single, one of them is if you're married. And uh, I, don't, I don't think we need to show a show of hands. Everyone, let's just give one of those to everyone. I don't think it hurts if you're single and you have a married or if you're married and have a single. But as we're talking about these things, I want you to find 
the budget that most closely represents your situation. All right, single or married, kids or no kids. Um, and then we're gonna use that as a basis. The one thing as they're, they're handing that out um, as we get started, so I wanna talk about this, the estimated spending plan. So you guys all have that here? All right, the very first thing it does is it asks us, we need to know how much money is coming in. All right, so let's make an assumption Let's make an assumption this is a uh, monthly budget. I'm going to use an average here. Average household income in the United States is, I think, uh, 58000 and change. So let's, let's just say that your income is $5,000 per month. That would be $60,000 a year. All right? Again, that's just using averages. <clears throat> if we add up all of our income and we come up with a number like this, what's the next thing that we have to do when it comes to expenses? What's that? We do have to do that, yeah, but, but in, the, in the very end of all the expenses, what do we have to make sure happens? We have more coming in than going out. Exactly. So in other words, this... This is the one area where there's kind of a, uh, there's a hard line. We need to think about that. If whatever this number is, for some people it's 5,000, for some people it could be 2,000, for some people it could be 10,000, all right? We need to make sure that we don't exceed this number when we're all done with the second part, all right? I'm gonna say this tomorrow, um, but I, I think it's good to start with today as well. Um, one of the things that I've found in uh, exercising and training is this. You would think, all right, you would think that training 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a week, that the pounds just shed off, right? Okay, because, you know, you exercise and, all right. So I will tell you that when I was done with the Ironman last fall and starting to ramping up the training again this spring, I was the heaviest that I've ever been in my life. Okay, how does that happen? You built muscle mass and you probably ate more too. I, okay, there, there probably something to the muscle mass, but I can assure you, because uh, I know me, it wasn't all muscle mass, all right? And so there's this idea sometimes that we can exercise our way out of a bad eating plan. Am I right? Okay. Hey, I'm exercising all the time. I can eat any carbs I want all the time. I just had a great workout. That, uh, that half gallon of double dark chocolate ice cream is looking pretty good. All right. And so you go to the freezer and out it comes. You cannot exercise your way, and I will tell this from experience, you cannot exercise your way out of a bad eating plan. You cannot earn your way out of a bad spending plan. See, a lot of people, they look at this and then they look at all the other things that they've added up and they say, well, what the problem is, is I need to fix this, okay? We need to focus on, and I don't like to use the word problems, the challenge that we're gonna have and where we need to focus is on the other stuff. We have to look at that and say, that number is probably gonna stay where it is and there are very successful financial people making less than this. There are people making 10 times that 
that are in serious financial problems. So income is not the solution. It's getting, getting control of and having the right boundaries on our, um, on our expenses. So having said that, let's take a look at this. Does everyone have those two handouts? Okay, you guys have found uh, the one that's most applicable to you. There's a front and back to each side. So in instance, there's one that talks about married. There's married with no children, there, the back side. Is it married with two children or just married with children? Married with two, okay. Married with one child? Wait, no, no. It's married with no and single with one. Okay, if you flip it over. Oh, it's on the other yep, side. Yep, and then you've got single oh, with, oh, okay. and, then, um, no, and then married, married with two. All right. So when we're looking at that, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go through a couple things. How many of you here like paying taxes? Okay. But let's be honest. How many of you here are appreciative for some of the benefits of taxes? All right. I don't particularly like paying state taxes. I, you know, sometimes like I don't really know what benefit I'm getting. I would imagine, um, I would imagine that we would right away realize how beneficial it is if all the state roads disappeared. All right. So one of the things we have to realize is that there are some expenditures that we have no control over. Taxes is one of them. And that can be a source of, of contention to some people. The Bible says very specifically, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. Um, there is blessings in making sure that we're paying fair taxes. I'm not saying we have to pay any extra. People talk about there are certain loopholes. If there are loopholes, uh, legal ones, those are loopholes that exist because the government has said we're not going to close the loophole. Take advantage of that. I have no interest in paying any extra dollar that I don't have to, but we, need to do, we do need to recognize, for instance, you know, a few months ago when North Korea is sending off uh, you know, nuclear missiles and stuff, I'm pretty glad that I'm paying taxes for a military to protect us. All right? I'm pretty glad to be driving on roads that's maintained by a federal government or a state government. So taxes are something that we don't have any ability to control. When you're looking at this, I can't tell you what your tax situation is. And those handouts will very specifically give you, you know, here's how much you're earning in your category, married or single, children or no children. Here's approximately what that is. Uh, how many of you here, by the way, know uh, exactly what your taxes are? Okay, we got a few of us. I do too. <laughs> um, <clears throat> as much as possible, estimate that that's going to be helpful. And if you don't know, then just use the number that's, that's been provided as the best estimate for your situation. The second item, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and then render unto God what is God's. And I'm going to talk for a couple minutes here about tithe and offering, because I think this is very, very important to us as we go through the budgeting process. The first question is this. Um, why does God ask us to return a tithe and offering? for our good. Are you sure about that? Because, I mean, let's be honest, God really kind of needs our money, doesn't he? <laughs> you don't think so. All right, I did a sermon on this, and uh, I don't have all the numbers here. I'm already missing my chalk. Um, and I, uh, I calculated, what's that? No, that, I'm not sure what that is. It's, that's okay. I, it's up here. Actually, I put it up here. There we go. By the time we're done, I'm going to have the whole box spread <laughs> today. So I, I took a look at um, how much gold there would be in the streets of heaven. All right? So I, knew the si I know the size, square miles of Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is near where I live. 
and there's X number of miles, I think 500 and let's say 560 miles, linear miles of road in the city of Grand Rapids. And if I take this, the area of Grand Rapids and I extrapolate that many miles for that area to how many miles of roads there would be in heaven, okay, uh, linear miles in a city, you know, 14, 1400 stadia squared. And then you figure, okay, the average road is 22 feet wide and, you know, maybe the asphalt here is six to eight inches, but, you know, God does things right. You know, he doesn't do a six inch. He's going to do a foot and a half of, of gold. All right. So I calculated that all out and you, you come up with how much gold is needed, how, how much gold there is in a cubic foot, how much that weighs, what's the price of gold. And here's what I found, that if the entire world... All right, the entire world, the GDP, gross domestic product, that's the sum of all income for the entire world. Gross domestic product is um, $70 trillion. All right. Now, let's say we, we had the whole world tithe and offering that. So they did a 10% tithe. They did a 5% offering. So that's 15% of seven, which uh, that's going to be uh, 10.5 trillion, right? Okay. So how does that compare to how much the streets of gold are worth? All right. So this is what I came up with. If God took all that gold and let's say, well, I haven't built it yet. So I actually have that money in a bank. And the money that it would cost for him to buy the gold, of course, we know he has it. We, this, this is all a theoretical exercise, all right? None of this is real. Um, but uh, if God had that money, it was sitting in a bank, and it was making 3% interest. Okay? Pretty good rate at today's rates. So God's making 3% interest. How long would it take him to make the same amount of money as what he, he would get if the entire world paid a tithe and offering on everything we make? It would take an hour. Okay. All right. And all that is, is the, that's just for the streets. That doesn't count the walls, doesn't count the houses. And it also doesn't count the fact that, uh, that scientists have now found, they call them diamond planets, planets roughly the size of Earth that are uh, basically solid diamond. Now, it may not be, you know, already buffed and polished and, you know, cut into carrots and stuff like that. Um, but the value of each of those planets and... Uh, is 30 to the 30th. You guys remember, you know what that means? That's, well, maybe, maybe I'm writing it wrong then. Yeah, time, you're right, times 10 to the 30th. Um, thank you, or here at times 10 to the 30th, which basically means you've got 30 followed by 30 zeros which is, we're, we're, we're talking about numbers now that really, even the intelligent people among us, not, which does include me, um, we can't really wrap our minds around that, all right? That's a, and that's the value of one planet. Scientists estimate right now there's 250,000 of these, all right? So here's the question. Does God need our tithes and offerings? All right, he does not. And I would go a step further and tell you, that if we were honest about the work that he's asking us to do, I think he could probably do a better job faster than we are. All right? 
So why is God asking us to return a tithe and offering then? Because it changes us. Because God's not in the business of making money. God's in the business of saving sinners. And he knows that the process of us returning a tithe and offering changes us and begins the process of changing us into his character. And what God wants is for our character to be changed, to become like him, and to be saved. And so when we talk about this idea, oh, I don't want to have to give tithe and offering, okay, what we're really saying is I don't want to be like God. I don't want God to have an impact on me. Now, it would be enough for us if God simply said, by doing this, your character will be changed, and that will result, uh, I'm not saying that because we pay tithe, we're going to be saved. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But it's part of that process of getting our hearts prepared and right with God so that we can accept, we recognize his character, we can accept salvation. Um, it would be enough for us to live eternally, for us to say, I want to be part of that. And if God says that this is part of that process, this is something that I can tangibly do, that would be enough. But he doesn't stop there. Okay, what are we told in Malachi? Bringing all the tithes into the warehouse. Okay, God has told us that even here on earth, when we go through that process of giving tithe, he will bless us now. And there are story after story after story after story of people who have been faithful tithe givers that have been blessed beyond imagination. And so what I'm going to ask you guys to do as we think about this, and, and maybe, uh, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, which is awesome, that this has never been an issue for one person here. All right? Actually, it has been an issue for one person. I, uh, back you know, as I was coming out of college and first starting my career, I had to wrestle for a couple years. I'll be honest. I'm thankful that I made the right decisions and that's no longer an issue. But most of us at some point in our life are probably going to have to think through this and make a conscious individual choice. Uh, folks, don't neglect tithe and offerings. God asks us to read. And, and by the way, we're not giving him our tithes and offerings. We're returning our tithes. Every single penny. The other, we'll call it 85% or 80%, whatever it is. Um, that's, all, that's what God has given us. All right? We're not giving him something. He's given everything to us and we're returning a little bit because he wants us uh, to have that changed character. So any questions on, any questions on the tithe? You good with that? Okay. So let's jump in here and talk about living expenses. The first one that we want to talk about is housing. All right. Now, again, I'm not going to go through this line by line, item by item. We do want to talk about a couple things. Mortgage and rent. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Some of you here probably own a home or paying a mortgage. Some of you might be renting. If you own a home and have a mortgage, I will tell you that in most cases, the bank will loan you more money than what you can afford to pay. All right. Uh, they've gotten, since 2008, they got a little bit more stricter. We're seeing those guidelines loosening up again. <clears throat> but in general, um, you know, if we take a look, and I'm going to go uh, because I happen to be married with children. Um, I'm looking at this real quick. Uh, probably 30%. It goes from 29 to 39. Um, somewhere in that low 30% is where you should be. And that's total. Okay, if I remember right, um, at one time, I know you could borrow up to, I think, 35 or 30%, 36% of your total income. If you can borrow 35%, let's say, and your housing includes that plus your uh, insurance plus 
taxes, plus utilities, plus upkeep, we're already way past that 30 to 32%, am I right? So I like to usually think that what we're paying for our uh, mortgage in general, this is a broad generality, probably you know, your rent or your mortgage, probably around 25% should be the maximum. It may be less than that. Again, keep in mind, it, there's not a problem with someone spending 50% if they want to, but the question is where are you gonna take it from somewhere else? That's the whole balancing act of, of, of the budget, the spending plan. It's not that you can't spend the money. It's that every time you wanna increase on one side, there has to be a reduction somewhere else. And where do we find balance? Because the reality is we have to live, don't we? I mean, we could have the most beautiful house in the, in the, um, in the city, but if we can't buy food, there's probably a problem. Conversely, we could be buying all kinds of food, going out to eat at restaurants, you know, enjoying shows, all that kind of stuff, um, and we can't make uh, the rent payment in the lowest district in town. That's probably a different imbalance. So the idea is, take a look at where you're at, and let's just say for right now, I'm gonna say somewhere around 30%, you find the exact one in, in your category. But here's the things that you have to keep in mind. You got your mortgage, your rent, you've got insurance, property taxes. Uh, for most of you that uh, are buying a home, owning a home, those first three are all taken care of with your payment. They have something called escrow. So your monthly payment comes out of your account or you're writing the check, your taxes and your insurance uh, are being taken care of at the same time. How many of you here uh, have ever, though, uh, uh, you know, year down the road, they say, whoops, we didn't take enough, we need a little bit more. Okay, sometimes they don't estimate those taxes or insurance properly, and there's additional amount that you need. Sometimes they overestimate, and they say, great, guess what, you have an extra $200. So keep in mind that they don't always get it exact, and it's adjusting every year as your payments go up. Um, how many of you here went out of electricity uh, on Sunday? In your, uh, or not cabin, but your trailer or whatever. Any of you here, there was only a few of us that lost electricity? I thought the whole, okay. Okay, okay, oh, that's, you're probably right about that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, like, welcome to our world, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, for those of you that were spoiled up until Sunday afternoon, um, how many of you realize electricity is a really great thing? How many of you have lost electricity at home and uh, after two days you realize most of the refrigerator has to be thrown out? Okay. Uh, electricity, it's hard, even though you can do it for a week at camp meeting, it's hard to live without electricity. And that's one of the things that we do have the ability to control to some extent. We can't control the cost, we can't control who we're getting it from, but we can do simple things like turning the lights out when you leave a room, all right? Putting in uh, 60 watt instead of 100 watt. Now, I don't follow all these myself, but I do find that if they burn out, sometimes I don't replace them right away, and then we don't have to worry about that. Um, gas, if your house is heated with gas or oil, that's another cost. Um, again. Simple things in the winter time, instead of setting it at 72 or 75, um, you know, set it at 68. It's amazing, they've done studies. You would think, well, that's only a couple percent drop in temperature, but the cost savings are probably three to five times that percent. All right, so the little bit that you give up in comfort, you're making up you know, three or four or five times as much uh, in costs. 
Yes. We put in a pellet stove and it saved us a lot of money. Yes. And by the way, uh, anytime you have, I mean, that's a much warmer heat too, isn't it? Yeah, there's something about real heat that makes a difference. Um, if you're on LP and you have an opportunity to go to natural gas, um, that was a situation I had. Uh, I paid for that. There was a cost to you know, run the line. It paid for itself within about a year and a half. Okay, I was, I'm paying maybe 30% in, in uh, natural gas of what I was paying with LP. Many times people don't have the opportunity, but that's a, if you have that option, that's a significant savings that you could get. Um, sanitation. How many of you here burn all of your own trash? Most of us don't. We need to budget for the fact that the trash man comes every week and picks it up. Uh, telephone. Just out of curiosity, who here still has a home phone? Okay, who here does not have a home phone, only a cell phone? All right. We talk about telephone. In the old days, it was whatever AT&T Ma Bell charged us, right? Nowadays, that telephone, I'm, I'm trying to remember if it shows up here somewhere else. I don't think that it does. That includes our cell phones. And by the way, those are far more expensive. Now we're getting a lot more, right? We can't really text over our home phone. We can't have access to the internet. But our cell phones, it, it, uh, most of the time, what is it, $30, $40 per phone? If you're married with a family of, of four, um, you're pushing 150, 200 bucks a month. We have to have that budget because how many of us want to lose that? Most of us don't. On the other hand, I would tell you this. Um, I'm not going to tell you guys how to make moral choices per se. How many eight-year-olds really need unlimited data? Okay, most of them don't. Again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to stir a nest on that, but let's just be judicious, all right? Because every penny that we save here, and I will go back. How many of you here heard what Ron Kelly uh, spoke about Sunday night? Okay, was that powerful? He talked about every one of us being a missionary and, and people who have their own businesses, they're taking those proceeds, they're putting it back into the missions. Or, um, God is asking, that changes us as well. And if we save some money in some of these categories and can put it back into that, imagine what we can do in this world. We'll talk about the power of just a few dollars uh, a little later on. All right, so that's housing. Any other questions on, uh, on housing? All right. Transportation. Um, yes? You're talking on housing, electricity is included in the housing. So all those expenses. Yes, all utilities. That's part of your housing category. So when you look at, I can, again, I'm just going to throw out the number 30%. 30% of, of my income, that's all of those. You add that all up together. Um, transportation. This is where we actually hop in a car and we drive somewhere. Oh, food. Yes. <laughs> Food is a biggie. Food is, and it not only is it a biggie, it's one of the most important. Um, that one probably ranges somewhere between 10 and 15%, again, depending on, on your circumstance. Um, how do we save money with groceries? Any thoughts? Yes. Buy in bulk. Buy in bulk. Yes, because there's nothing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to joke, and I don't want you to think that I'm going against what you say. Because there's nothing like buying a lifetime supply of mustard in one container, right? <laughs> All right. Have you been at Costco? And you've seen some of that. I, I know there's a savings, but if you throw out half of it. But you're not talking about that, and I know that. But yeah, you, you buy, buy in bulk, your unit cost goes way down. Yes? Eat simple plant-based food. Eat simple plant-based food. Exactly. Have a garden. Have a garden, even better. 
That's what you're going to say? Uh, don't buy pre-made Don't buy pre-made food. It's very, very expensive. Um, I want to say that some company had packaged, it wasn't quite pre-made, but it was somewhat packaged food that they weren't selling it very well. And so they said, well, I tell you what, why don't we take that, that you know, let's, let's say it was boxed macaroni. That's not what it was, but let's take it, let's actually cook it and have it pre, uh, pre-made, pre-package it, and let's sell it for five times as much. And it's flying off the shelves. All right. So, yeah. Oh, and by the way, um, here's another great one. Pringles. Have you guys ever eat Pringles? Do you know what Pringles are made out of? Okay, when they, when they have your simple plant-based food potatoes running down the conveyor and there's some, some machine checking to make sure that it's not rotted, when the, the, the machine kind of kicks off or someone's, you know, they touch each one and, and their thumb goes all the way through the potato, all right, that potato gets set aside and they sell it to Pringles who processes it then into Pringles potato chips, all right? So now, you know, it's not... And they charge more for it, but the nice thing is they're stackable. All right, so at least, at least you got that going for you. All right, any other ideas on how you can save money for food? I clip coupons. Clip coupons, exactly. I used to, again, uh, I'm really like revealing just how nerdy I am with some of this stuff. I would keep track of how much I saved by my coupons every, you know, you go to the store and, and, and Myers, you know, it'll tell you what your coupon savings are. And then I would take that same amount and I put it into a savings account. So it's kind of like I didn't really save it on groceries. I just got it. Now I can spend it on something fun. All right. I, I, I want to say it was probably 50, 60 bucks a month. And I'm not like a hardcore coupon person. Limit spoilage. Limit spoilage. Yeah. How many times are we throwing something away in the refrigerator and, and, uh, because you know, we didn't eat the grapes for two weeks and now they're bad and you know, that's two bucks right there. In the Go ahead and I'll come right back to you. If you have a menu and you plan that menu out, but then you make it fluid enough that you can say, well, we're not gonna make this meal that I had planned because we still have a lot left over from yesterday. We're gonna eat our leftovers first and then if we still need more, then we'll make something more. Absolutely, another great idea. You buy things in season and pan it, then you have it for the whole year. Yes, you do. And it isn't a lot better than what you have to oh, buy. Wow. Yeah, precisely. Here's what I tell you. That, yeah. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, the things that we do to save money in the long run are actually so much better. We enjoy it more. And for those that are listening um, but not here, I'm going to just repeat that for the, the benefit of our uh, DVD listeners. We're talking about Scrip. Scrip. No T. With no T. And uh, I, I want to say it's anywhere from 3 to 15, 3 to 20%, depending on what it is. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. So groceries, gasoline, restaurants, home improvement, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we can have money that's sent to. It's probably our school of choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a real benefit. And that's another thing. By the way, uh, one of the concepts I believe in strongly is if you take care of the pennies, the dollars take care of themselves. Most of the problems in life don't happen with the big events. I'm not saying never. But most of them don't happen with the big events. Most of them are the small drips and drains. Okay? If we can find 10 solutions to small issues, we're gonna, that's, that's better than finding a huge solution. And the huge solutions are often difficult to come across. Uh, all right, transportation. We want to cover that for a moment. This includes uh, payment for a vehicle, gas and oil, insurance, license and taxes. Um, how many of you have ever been stopped and they said, hey, your vehicle license is uh, expired? Okay, it happens to some of us from time to time. 
we need to budget for that. That's an expenditure. Um, if we want to drive, and by the way, uh, I'm going to talk about debt here in a second. Driving is one of the few areas that I think debt is justified because if you can't drive to get to work, you can't earn. Um, but if you can't drive because your license plate is expired, you're in the same situation. So we have to make sure we're planning for these things that we often don't think about. And when we take a look again, overall, transportation is probably similar to food, you know, somewhere between about 10 and 15%. Yes? You have maintenance and repair under housing and transportation. How do you estimate those costs? That's a, that's a very difficult one. Unless you've been keeping track, it's hard to. Um, I could just throw out some numbers. You know, you may want to, you know, based on your vehicle, it may be, you know, a third to a half of your cost for your payment of your car um, would get you in a really good place. Uh, the question is, you know, when your tires wear out, are you buying brand new tires or are you asking for someone that had tires for 10,000 miles and replaced it? Now you can get new ones, almost new ones for half price, something like that. So it, it depends a little bit. That's a great question. I might have to look that up and get, bring that back tomorrow. I'm sorry, we'll get this one and then, no, no, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. So for uh, auto insurance, for instance, and you talked about you can save in buying in bulk. You can save money on your insurance by paying it annually. Um, I'm with Allstate. Once a year, they, they automatically take it out. That gives me another savings. I don't know. It's like 5%. Well, five, that adds up. So if I can save 10, maybe 15% by doing it once a year where they automatically draw it. The, the trick is, though, I have to have saved it up. Um, but yeah, whatever that cost is for the year, divide it up, or if it's a cost per quarter, make it a monthly prorated. Yes? One of the large expenses for car ownership is depreciation. Are you factoring that in there? We're not factoring depreciation so much because that, in a sense, is built into the payment. Okay. So you're just the, just the payment? So. Yeah, we're, we're just talking about the payment. Now, um, that's a great, great point. But when you talk about, uh, you're kind of covering it through the, the cost of the car and through maintenance. Um, technically, from a accounting perspective, it needs to be counted. But uh, for purposes of this class, I don't know we're going to go quite that deep. I have a question on the housing. How do you feel about like these programs where you pay so much a month and, oh, we'll cover up if something happens to your furnace or your air conditioner? or? Yeah, it depends. There's some that could be valuable, but here's what I'm going to tell you. In the end, whatever organization that's doing that has to pay their employees and they have to make money. So in the end, net, where's that coming from? It's coming from you paying it. You and everyone else that's part of it. Now, it's valuable in the sense that if there's a catastrophic loss, and you can't cover the catastrophic loss, even if it costs a little bit more, you're covered. But if you don't use it, then it's money out. So it would, it would probably depend. I would tell you that um, here's, a, here, here's a concept I remember from when I first got out of school, that the lower your income, the less savings you have, uh, the more you should try to pay for your car insurance so that your deductible is less. You know, when you're a, when you're a student right out of, out of school or just a, someone that just graduated from school, not making very much, I don't know that you need a $1,000 deductible for your car. You know, you may not have the $1,000. We're going to talk about, by the way, though, having an uh, emergency fund. Um, I don't know that I can give you hard and fast on that. I would tell you that it's, it may be worth looking at, but be cautious. 
because again, on a net basis, someone else is making money, which means you're paying more than on average. Everyone on average, what they pay, are paying more than what they're getting in a benefit. That's the way the numbers work. So um, just because of the, the factor of time, let's keep, uh, keep moving here. Um, we do talk about insurance here. Um, insurance, life insurance, dental, health insurance, disability, other. I'll probably try to talk a little bit about that tomorrow because one of the things, tomorrow's gonna be talking about debt. And one of the best ways to stay out of debt is to make sure that we have the right insurance. All right, and I'll talk about how, we, how to use insurance properly as we're going through debt. So I'm gonna come back to that, but it does give us some guidelines. Um, you know, generally it's about 5% of our income should be allocated towards insurance. Uh, debts, I'm gonna come back to that. Entertainment, recreation, we have to live, okay? We have to be able to every now and then go out and eat, go camping, come to Michigan camp meeting, right? So there are things that we want to include as fun money. Um, again, depending on your, your financial situation, uh, your marital situation, you know, it, they've, it, my information here goes as low as 3% up to maybe 7 or 8%. Generally speaking, the lower your income, the lower the percent because there's other things that are kind of mandatory. As your income goes up, you have more discretionary income to use for some of these things. But it needs to be factored. Uh, clothing, another one, we have to buy clothes, am I right? Kind of important. Now where we buy them, there's, there's some options. Um, I'm not advocating that everyone has to go buy uh, clothes at Goodwill, nor do I think that we should be buying $500 jeans with holes in them, all right? <laughs> I can put holes in mine for free. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't cost, and after a few washing, I've got that uh, you know, really nice kind of uh, worn look. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I, I feel bad for my parents. When I was uh, growing up, literally, I, I, I could not make it more than uh, a week or two without putting a hole, usually in the knees. And it wasn't a hole, actually. It was, you know, you're doing something, all of a sudden it just splits from seam to seam. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. My mom finally said, that's it. You're getting one pair of jeans, and when they, you wear them out here in about three weeks, we'll get you the next one, but I'm not going to have two or three of those all ripped at the same time. <laughs> but we do have to have clothes. So we need to factor for that. Um, probably four to seven percent, look at your categories there. But there are ways to save money, and I know we're, we're getting close to running out of time, so I don't want to rush, but there are ways to save money on clothes, am I right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Buy them at the end of the season, okay? Because the end of the season, in June or July, they're going to consider it end of season, and all the tanks and shorts go on sale, right? What's the temperature like in August? It's hot. We can use those, all right? The fact that we waited until July or August to buy shorts instead of having to get them in February saves us money, and they'll work just as well the next year. Um, sales, uh, buying uh, clothes at stores that aren't super expensive. You guys, just a couple ideas that you guys might have. What, are, what would they be? What's that? The outlet mall. Outlet mall, yep. There's places like Clothes Mentor and uh, Once Upon a Child where you can actually bring in clothing from last year and Yes. And then you can actually buy clothes there for still a decent price. That's exactly right. So you can buy clothes a little bit cheaper, and you can actually get paid to bring your other ones back. That's a wonderful idea because all of us have clothes. What's that? It's decluttering too. Yeah, it's decluttering. And, and actually, um, I'm a big believer. 
I'll say this quietly. <laughs> I'm a big believer in not having a lot of clutter. My wife thinks that I'm a minimalist, but I just, um, anyway, there, there's something to be said about balance with that, right? That's, I'm just gonna shut up before it gets any worse. It is, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling bad here. Okay, um, clothing, savings. Um, we'll come back to that uh, probably on Thursday. Medical, dental, okay, we are gonna have health insurance costs, or not health insurance, we're gonna have medical costs. We need to see dentists, we need to see doctors. We need to plan for that. Um, you should all take a look at your health policy and find out what your out-of-pocket costs are, what your deductibles are, what your maximum family cost is. I don't know that you need to budget the maximum every year, but you do need to have some there because those things come up. And then you got miscellaneous uh, items there. Uh, the last thing, and I'm not trying to skip through this, but the last thing here it talks about is uh, uh, school children. All right. I am a big believer. I am a big believer in Adventist education. Okay. I realize that it costs more, and it's a commitment to us. I'm going to share a quick story. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily the reason I, uh, that I'm a, a big believer in Adventist education. I am a product of 17 years of Adventist education, um, kindergarten through, through college. Um, when my grandfather uh, uh, was first married, he got, uh, he got called, to, uh, called into service in World War II. You might know the story better than I do, uh, Nita's my cousin. Um, I, I don't remember what year it was, but it was probably 1942, maybe 1943 when he was drafted. My mom was a year old. And he would write home every week. And he would write to his wife. Uh, it was a great story. My grandma would actually sit my mom down and they would, she would read the story, or the, read the letter to her with a picture of my grandpa. So that when he came back, she would know who he was. But in every letter, he would send money back and he would say to his wife, I want you to set this aside because when I get back, we need to build a school for our kids. Now, he wasn't the only one that did that. I happen to know that because that's my family story. You could probably go around this campground and you could find dozens of families where that happened. All right, so I'm not unique. My family's not special. But there was a commitment. And I want you to think back what public schools were like in the 1940s, okay? And you compare that to where society is today. And think about the, the commitment that these people had to say our kids are gonna have something really worthwhile. And I'm gonna to add to that what Ellen White tells us. She says, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. It's the same. So if we're thinking about making an investment for our kids' eternity, I can't think of a better place to start than their education. And I'm a big believer that the, the benefits that we give them going through our Adventist schools, imperfect as they may be, lay the groundwork for them to have the opportunity for that redemption and salvation that, that God's offering to us. So the challenge is that when we do that and we add that expense in at the bottom, it has to come from someplace, doesn't it? All right? But here's the question. I'm gonna go back to one of the points before. Is it more important for our kids to have that right education foundation or to have unlimited data and their own smartphone every two years? I happen to think not, all right? 
That's one of the sacrifices that I would easily give up. Um, and again, I'm not, I realize this is a point that probably, you know, we can talk about most things, we're all in agreement. This might be one where, ooh, I'm stepping on, I'm not intentionally stepping on toes, but it could be a little uncomfortable. But I'm just asking you to think about it. I'm asking you to pray about it, to think about it. I think God works through this process where a thought goes in and we just kind of let it percolate. And the Lord just keeps working on us. I will tell you if we make that commitment, though, that he will bless us. And what we think is actually a cost is really an investment, and it all comes back to us. So um, I want to leave a few minutes here. We didn't get through every item, but that's okay. You guys, this is uh, something that I really want you to take with you. You don't have to have filled it out today. But let's take the last 10 minutes, and let's uh, just kind of talk questions that you might have. Let's make sure you feel comfortable with what we've gone through. Yeah, well, well, here's the challenge. The, the, um, if we go to the handouts, the handouts tell us, but they tell us that there's four different categories of people, married with no kids, married with kids, single with no kids, single with a child. So there's already four options, and each of those options have six different income options. So there's 24 different potential answers to those questions. What's That's why, range? what's that? I, I would have to... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't actually figure out the range for all of those. Um, tell you what, I'm going to just ballpark this. I'm going to say for housing, it's going to be, I would say maybe 30% for housing. Um, let's say, um, let's say 12% for food, 13% for transportation, 5% for insurance, 5% for debt. 4% for entertainment, 5% for clothes, 5% for savings, 5% for health, 5% for miscellaneous. What, what are we at now? Someone want to add those all up? The, when we talked about tithe, the absolute minimum is 10%. Okay, Because God asks us very specifically for 10%, and then a free will offering in addition to that. Uh, and by the way, I wanted, maybe that's a good point. I thought about this for just a couple of minutes. Um, there is a question, a debate that often kind of goes back, what do you tithe on, your net or your gross? Okay. And I'm not going to ask for any show of hands. Um, that's somewhat of a private decision. I would tell you if you've made a decision one way or the other, just be very, very consistent and make it an honest 10% of the gross or an honest 10% of the net, whatever you decide. But I remember I came, the first one of these I ever came to, and I can't remember his name, he was the stewardship director for North America, the New Zealand guy. Um, he, was, he had such an awesome accent. I came here just to listen to him talk. <laughs> um, you know, I, didn't, I didn't learn a thing, but it was great just hearing him, him talk. But that, that question came up, and here's the idea behind it. Okay, God asks us to tithe our increase. And if the government's already taken 20% away, um, do we just tithe what's left for us? And there's, there's some theory that that's appropriate. Or do we tithe on everything that we've been given before we pay the taxes? And uh, in, in defense, I, I, lean, I lean towards uh, tithe on the gross, and I'll explain why. The, the concept was back in the, uh, up until the early 1960s, the highest tax bracket uh, in America was 90%. 
Okay? So if you're getting paid $100 and $90 is already left in taxes and now you're going to pay 15, 20% in tithe and offering, you've, you've lost money by doing that. Now, the good news is that we don't have that problem today. The highest tax bracket is, I think, even adjusted with the, the new tax reform is 37, 37 and a half. Uh, but that was the idea. You know, at some point we're, we're losing money by our taxes and our tithe. But this is what he said. He said, if you want a net blessing, tithe on your net. If you want a gross blessing, tithe on your gross. And I would tell you, I think that's spot on. I think, I think the, more, the more committed we are, and so I, I tithe on the gross. I'm not going to tell you that because I do that, you have to. That's a personal uh, belief. But I'm, I'm just going to say, when, whenever you tithe, whether you tithe on the net or the gross, make it an honest tithe. Okay? One of the things God hates is dishonest scales, where we say, yeah, I'm measuring this, but, you know, I'm... Um, and as a treasurer, you see that. You know, there's people that are paying tithe, and, and you know you know they're making more than $500 for the year. Now, I'm thankful that they're giving. Don't get me wrong. Okay? And sometimes it takes people a few steps to get there. Um, but... I also think that we need to be honest with ourselves. The phrase, my wife has heard me say this before in context of, you know, just dealing with things that go on in life. By the way, this is Sarah, my wife. I'm sorry. I keep mentioning her. She's amazing. All right. Just awesome. I tell her, I read this and I was like, that's so spot on. You can't solve a problem with someone who's not being honest. Okay. The first place we have to look is ourself. Am I being honest with myself? And if there's a situation I can't solve that even with myself if I'm not honest with myself. And let's not, please don't be dishonest with ourselves. Let's not be dishonest with God. All right? Do you think he doesn't know? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's got it figured out. <laughs> so he knows, but not only that, he's saying, trust me. If you do this, I will give you the benefit. He's saying, try it. I am waiting. I'm just waiting to bless you. All right? So I'm going to ask you guys, no matter what, before you start this process, if you really want the blessings of doing the budget, and we talked about the great things that happen when we do it, start with the most important, which is saying, God, I trust you. I don't trust myself. I trust you. And because of that, I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to give you that honest tithe. What? Yes. Um, I added 5% offering, but you're up to 89%. Yes. 89, that was, that was it? Did you factor in taxes? Okay, yeah, so, no, we have to include the ones up above as well. So that's where, those are the rough numbers, but you're going to have to make some adjustments. And please don't use those. Hey, I, I heard this guy, he had a great seminar. He said we have to do 5% in this category. Please go back to the handouts. They're going to be more accurate than the general ones because I can't tell you what's specific to your circumstance. So then I guess you'd be up to 110%. Yeah, so we're going to have to go back in each category and take 1% off. All right, drop it down a little bit. Any other questions? Hey, Jim, just for yeah. clarification, because somebody might not, want, might not want to, wanted to ask, what does gross income and net income, what it, what it, what it is? Okay, gross income says, um, oh, let's see, how do, how do I want to explain this? I would just say gross is, you know, what you make before Yeah. I, let's say you get paid per week. Uh, you're paid $20 an hour, and you worked for 40 hours, right? So you've got $20 per hour times 40. That was a week. You made 
$800 that week. That's a little low compared to, but you guys get the idea. Actually, let's do this. You're making $25 an hour. You made $1,000 for the week, all right? Make $1,000 for a week, that's your gross. That's everything that you made. Now the government comes along and says, all right, before you get that $1,000 check, we're gonna have taken out $200 in taxes. That's your net. Gross is everything that you made, net is what showed up in your paycheck. Yes? I'm sure everyone would know this anyway, but for people who are, are uh, private business people or whatever, I'll use my wife as an example. She does a little bit of catering. So if she gets $500 for a catering job, perhaps 200, 250, or, or 100 or 125 of that, I was thinking about, might be the food that she bought to serve. <coughs> The 500 in that case is not gross. That is correct. The 375 is gross. That is correct. Because those were actual expenses. Or we've got a builder in here. So if he, yes. he buys $1,000 worth of expenses and gets paid $5,000 for a job, that $1,000 of, of building materials come out. That's right. That and that goes back to the concept biblically that it we're, we're asked to tithe on our increase. Okay. Not on, and, and recognizing that when we get paid at work, pretty much everything that we're getting paid is the increase. When we actually are self-employed or there's a job, there's expenses to do the job, we're paid not only for our labor, but for those expenses, we take out what those costs are. That's a great point. So, yes? Um, I see that under debts it says not including house or auto. Why is the house not included in the auto? Because that's part of your housing budget. They've actually categorized your total housing as one category, your automobile as a category, all-inclusive, and then you may have separate debt from that, credit cards, you name it. But, uh, typically, housing and auto are secured debt, so it's looked at a little bit differently. So because it's secured, you're not wanting to include it in um, debt category? Yeah, I, it, is debt. it is debt. Here's what I would tell you. Um, in fairness to me, I didn't design, I think this is a really, really good budget plan, but there, someone may say, I think debt should all be lumped into one area. I would tell you that your housing debt should always really be part of housing, and I'll talk about why that is tomorrow. You may say, oh, my car loan should be part of the regular full debt. Okay, that's not a big deal. But what you're doing is you're then saying, I don't need as much percentage in car or auto. I'm going to shift that over to debt because I want all my debt in one area. Own something that you're renting out? Yeah. Um, and you're paying <coughs> debt on that? Paying a mortgage and you're oh. rent. Um, what would happen is you would probably add the expense. You would probably create a whole different one because you've got both income and expenses. And I would use that outside of this budget to some extent. I mean, that we can talk afterwards. That's a unique situation. And, and it's not hard to come up with an answer, um, but it's going to be a little unique. So anyone else? All right, I'm going to uh, keep you for one minute, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Um, just very, very quickly. Actually, let's just wrap this up. If you fail to plan, plan to fail. Whatever we plant in our subconscious mind and nourish with repetition and emotion will one day become reality. 
Again, that we're talking about the power of the mind. The right budget spending plan gives you the freedom to spend. And then finally, God doesn't need our money. He asks us to return our tithes and offering because he knows we need the experience of giving. Um, so that's kind of a recap of what we had today. Tomorrow, I'll go back to Nareda. Tomorrow, laying aside the extra weight, practical ways to reduce, avoid, eliminate your debt so it won't slow you down. So uh, let's wrap up here, let you guys go to your other activities. Let's close with a word of prayer. You bow your heads with me. Dear God, thank you so much, so much for what you've given to us. Everything that we have, we know originates with you. Uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to use our minds as, as you have given us uh, to be good stewards of the, um, the assets and the income that we have here in our life. Lord, I pray as we leave today that there will be two or three things uh, for each of us that you're impressing on us that we can make positive changes in our life uh, and uh, in doing so bring honor and glory to you. We ask that you bless us to that end. In Jesus' holy name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.